So full disclosure, my heart is really heavy with this message. I wrote it and rewrote it and wrestled and struggled and couldn't figure out why it was so hard. And then I had this moment last night with the Lord. I came downstairs to talk to Daryl about it. And as a pastor, I often feel like I'm trying to convince people how important prayer is. It's the weirdest thing to feel like you have to convince God's children to talk to him. It is heavy. And I I want you to think about that for a moment. In most churches, prayer meetings are the lowest attended event that the church does. We're his children. And we have to be reminded to talk to him. There's a disconnect there, isn't there? We've, we've got a problem. And it's, and it's not just a little problem, and it's not just our problem. It's a problem significantly with the Western church. See, the big idea of this series is that we cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. That is a quote by G. Campbell Morgan. And last week, we, we looked at Judah's return to the word through King Josiah. And in turn, we looked at the importance and the priority that you and I must make with our relationship with the living, breathing word of God. See, one of the ways we need to set our sail to catch the wind of heaven is to have high Bible engagement. See, if you're not regularly engaged in the word, you are malnourished. If you are not regularly engaged in the word of God, you are malnourished. I am really sorry to break the news but I promise you the Spirit will confirm that. If you are not engaged in the Word of God at all, you are dying. You are dying. The Word brings life. D.L. Moody is quoted to have said that I hunted through the four Gospels trying to find one of Christ's funeral sermons, and I couldn't find any. I found he broke up every funeral he ever attended. He never preached a funeral sermon in the world. Death could not exist where he was. When the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life. 
There is no death where Jesus is. Amen? There is no death where Jesus is. If you are not engaged in this word, you are dying. But if this word takes priority in your life, you are living. Because you are feasting on the living, breathing word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. You're springing to life. Let's pray. Father, more of you and less of me. Your words, not mine. Your heart, not mine. Break us open. Spirit, speak so personally to each one of us today. May there be a blowing of the wind of heaven in our midst. For your glory. For your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, crossing the Atlantic Ocean on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was asked to address the first-class passengers. The captain requested that he would speak on answered prayer. An agnostic was present at the service and was asked by his friends, what did you think of Dr. Meyer's sermon? He answered, I didn't believe a word of it. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak to the fourth-class passengers. Many of the listeners at his morning address went along, including the agnostic, who claimed he just wanted to hear what the babbler had to say. Before starting out for the service, the agnostic put two oranges in his pocket. On his way, he passed this elderly woman sitting on her deck fast asleep. Her hands were open. And in the spirit of fun, the agnostic put two oranges in her outstretched palms. After the meeting, he saw the old lady happily eating one of the pieces of fruit. He said, you seem to be enjoying that orange. He smiled. Yes, sir, she replied. My father is very good to me. Your father? Surely your father can't still be alive. Praise God, she replied. He's very much alive. What do you mean? Pressed the agnostic. She explained, I tell you, sir, I've been very seasick for days, and I was asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying, and when I awoke, I found that he had not only sent one orange, but two. The agnostic was speechless and later converted. Watchman Nee says that our prayers laid the track down which God's power can come from. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. Setting our sails to catch the wind of heaven also requires that you and I and us as a church become a people of prayer. Now hear me when I say this. I don't mean cautious prayer. I don't mean the hedging the bets kind of prayer. You know, 
praying with the probability that you're going to get what you want, the hedge the bet kind of prayer, I mean agonizing, travailing prayer, audacious, bold, unrelenting prayer. See, Paul talks about the labor pains of prayer in Galatians. And this word travailing, it means a laborious effort. It's like giving birth to something. It's like birthing pains Paul talks about. Prayer that is work. Prayer that is work. And if we struggle as a people of God to pray, to, to labor in prayer, is it possible it's because we're lazy? Is it, is it possible that we are, we are so fixated on the immediate, get it now, that we have settled for drive-through prayers? Is it, is it possible that we are missing out on the very heart of our Father because we hedge our bets in prayer? Kind of like, Lord, help me get that parking spot, please. Or, Lord, don't let it rain today, please. Our text this morning is in the book of Nehemiah. And we need to have some context for our text. So we are looking at about a thousand years after Moses and about 400 years before Jesus. And God's people were in a really desperate state. So last week when we went to the book of Kings, we talked about the divided kingdom. So God, God had a nation, you know, the whole pretty people, all of that. If you, didn't, if you didn't hear the message, you can watch it online. I was exceptionally funny. <laughs> It was good. I, I loved that I got the giggles, so it was good. But God's kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. The northern kingdom was full of bad kings. They just refused to ever get their act together. They refused to honor the Lord. They refused to put him first. See, God's promises are always true. His promises of prosperity and care and protection, but also his promises of judgment his promises of a reckoning. He is a God of covenant. He does not go back on his word. And we, we need to feel the weight of that. So we have this divided kingdom, and in the north where it's all bad kings, eventually God brings in this group of people, the Assyrians, and they conquer the northern kingdom in, in 720 B.C., and, and the ten tribes in the northern kingdom are scattered throughout the nations. And they're never really brought back together again. In the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, where, where the temple was, where the throne of David was. You know, they cycled through good and bad kings. But eventually, their unfaithfulness to God had a reckoning moment. And, and God sent in a king. When I was a kid... I got to tell you this because it might come out of my mouth. When I was a kid, I struggled with reading a little bit. 
And so when I, when I read his name, I called him Nebuchadnezzar, because that's how you spell it. His name's Nebuchadnezzar, but it's spelled Nebuchadnezzar. Just if you ever want to know how to spell it, just that's it. Anyhow, the Babylonians come in in 587 BC, and they wipe out the southern kingdom. And, and they take many of the Jewish people back with them to Babylon. And so as we read through the scriptures, they've not been placed in the canon in chronological order. So, you know, you read Nehemiah early on in the books of history, but Daniel's a ways away. But see, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took, he took God's people with him. They were, they were hostages in many ways in Babylon, but they grew accustomed the culture of Babylon we, and Persia. And we have the story of Esther in the midst of this. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of that is happening in Babylon. And meanwhile, back home, the temple has been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar took away, you know, the precious items of God. And they destroyed Solomon's temple. And so God's people grew accustomed to living in Babylon. So in, in your Old Testament, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah were once one book. They've been separated. And I believe our Jewish friends keep them still together. But it's sort of one continuous story. And so there was a point where, where God's people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And, and commentaries say about 2%, 2% of the Jewish people went back. 98% of God's people chose to stay in Babylon. 98% of God's people chose to stay in the land of captivity. That's a painful thing to think about. So they've gone back and they've tried to rebuild the temple and the altar. And, and, and there was always a wall because, see, the cities were walled. It was fortification. It was protection. And so we have this guy named Nehemiah. He's been born in exile. And he has favor. He, he actually lives in the citadel. He lives in the palace. He's a cupbearer to the king, meaning that he protects that cup from poison and sometimes has to taste it first. He's a person of great significance. And a man has come back from Jerusalem in our context here this morning, and Nehemiah asks, how are things? How are things? And so we are going to read through chapter 1, verses 3. We're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to take it all the way to verse 11. So the context here is Nehemiah is asked, how are things? Okay? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you, you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the furthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. See, Nehemiah wants to go before the king, Artaxerxes, and ask for permission to go back and build the wall. And we're not going to, for the sake of time, unpack all of Nehemiah's story. But I want you to know that eventually the king grants Nehemiah permission, and he takes a group with him, and they rebuild the wall. And in the end, it only took 52 days to build the wall. But that 52 days of labor required four months of prayer. Four months of consistent, persistent, travailing, laborious prayer. Arthur Pink says, Prayer is not so much an act as an attitude, an attitude of dependency, dependency on God. So let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed and held tight and waited before the Lord for four months for anything. When was the last time you labored? You labored over the will, Lord's will being done. When was the last time you were on your face? for our city, for our province, for our nation, for the world? When was the last time you were on your face for the persecution of God's people in the world? When was the last time you stood in the gap?
When was the last time you prayed more than thanking God for the food or asking him to help you with whatever it was in the moment you're facing? What prayers have you been praying for a lifetime? For those of you who have prodigals, you know what I'm talking about because you have prevailed and travailed in prayer for your children. You continually go before the Lord, reminding him of his promises, asking him to stir the heart of your precious babe. For those of us who don't have prodigals, we don't know the pain. So what do you ache for? See, Nehemiah was amazing. Here, here he was born in captivity. In, in the place of influence, in a place of power. Sort of like Esther, just kind of being able to sort of sit back and enjoy this, this position. And yet his heart wasn't there. His, his heart... His heart was for Jerusalem. His heart was for the temple. His heart was for the place, the dwelling place of God. Because he remember when the temple was built and Solomon called the whole nation together. The spirit of the Lord came in. There was a physical act that happened in that first temple. The temple was the dwelling place of God. You and I now hold that title. You and I are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And Nehemiah sat in a place of prestige, a place of honor. And his heart ached for the things of God. Does your heart ache? for the things of the Lord. Max Licato once coined himself as being a prayer wimp. And when I read that a number of years ago, I was so jealous because I thought, no, 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 that's my title. Prayer has not always been something that was easy for me, especially public praying. It's awkward and it's uncomfortable. For those of you in Bible college, I was on internship. And it was my first Sunday and there was three services. And I was invited to come up and pray, like, on the spot. And it didn't go well. Somebody in the church had passed away. Somebody had lost a loved one. And I'm nervous and anxious and I got to get up. And I don't know any of these people. And they give me a microphone. And, and so I prayed Lord, I pray for the death of a loved one. Yep. Lord, I pray for the death of a loved one. And I just felt like I'd waxed and waned pretty confidently. Didn't notice until after all the pastors are having lunch together and the youth pastor says, uh, did you have anyone in particular in mind? 
still lost on me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he starts dying in laughter. And, and all of the pastors at the table start laughing at me. One of them says, we're laughing with you, but you did today pray for the death of a loved one. And it took me a moment. And then I got it. And then I'm like, I did not. And they're like, you, you did. You, you really, really, really did. And all these years later, I'm still scarred by that moment. But then something happened. You know, eventually, as we all do, we faced a great need. And if God didn't move, it was going to cost the life of our child. So it began this aching desperation of prayer. This time spent alone. Understanding when the scripture talks about the groanings of prayer. Where sometimes there's no words. There's just an ache and a desperation to receive to see the Lord move. See, Nehemiah knew that for a place he'd not been. He, he ached. And the 52-day job of building the wall had a four-month foundation of prayer. See, I, I've learned something, that the more persistent and the deeper and the longer I wait before the Lord in prayer, I discover more about who he is. He doesn't always answer the way I want him to answer or as quickly as I feel he should answer. But I learn his heart. And more importantly, he changes mine. Max Cato also said this, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempt may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not the one who says it, our prayers make a difference. E.M. Bound says, prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. They outlive a generation, they outlive an age, and they outlive a world. Years ago, I, I did some ancestral research. In my family of origin, I'm the only believer. Like, for generations. And then, thanks to Ancestry.com, I found out on my paternal grandfather's line, like a hundred years ago, I come from a line of Methodist preachers. Who would have thunk it? So somewhere, a century ago, a group of my ancestors prayed. And they prayed over future generations. And eventually, something stuck. And the word of the Lord found me and my broken heart. But where Jesus is, death cannot live. 
and he brought me to life. Our world's a mess. See, for, for Nehemiah, he knew that a city without a wall was a city without protection. There was no peace. Cities were fortified. They had walls for protection. Because if you did not have a wall, at any point your enemies could come in and ravage everything. The wall was not certain defense, but it was some defense. And so he ached knowing that his people, God's people, were vulnerable. See, the mess of Jerusalem was, was basically mirroring the mess of God's people spiritually. They were broken down. Their culture was a mess. Does it remind you of anything? We are not a Christian nation. And that's okay. We are not a Christian culture. And that's okay. Why? Because God called us. He established his church to sit in the middle of non-Christian nations and non-Christian cultures to be salt and light. To be vessels of hope. To be beacons of his hands and feet in a world that is broken and lost. Been in the church as a whole for a little bit of time now. We complain an awful lot. I, I don't have statistics. It's not how my brain works. But I... If my credentials let me, and I could bet. I would bet that God's people spend more time complaining than praying. I, I would bet that we spend more time over coffee and snacks and meals, crabbing about the world together, than we do prevailing and travailing in prayer together. Do you think that's what the Lord wants? Do you, do you think that we bring him honor if that's what we're doing? See, loved ones, the call here, the requirement as his children, is to put our focus on him. And not just in the little things, but in the things that feel impossible. You've, you've read the news. You see what's happening in our school systems. You, you see what happened in a GTA high school. You've probably read, and if you haven't, just Google it. Our world is so messed up. And that people who know the right thing to do are doing the wrong thing because of pressure. See, this world, this world is governed by God's enemy. And he is a liar. 
And the only thing that will penetrate that darkness is if God's people do what we're supposed to do. And that is to travail in prayer, to petition God, to stand in the gap, to stand in the gap on our faces and ask God to do something. Because I promise you he will change us. And that critical spirit we all seem to wrestle with, it'll go. It'll be gone. And a heart that is broken for the things of the Lord, that will be birthed. I believe everybody in this room, everybody who's joining us online, we want to experience revival. We want to experience the blowing of the wind of heaven in our day, in our lives. I believe that we all want to experience the things of history we've read about in the Great Awakening. But we're in the way. We're in the way. Until, until we become a people, until we become a family, that is willing to wait on the Lord together, to labor, to labor in prayer. Labor takes time. It's not an hour, it's hours. Laboring for Nehemiah was four months. Four months. See, prayer puts our focus on God and it will change our spiritual stance. Prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. It is the declaration that you and I can't do it on our own. See, we pray for provision. We pray for those things, and yet we can all go buy a loaf of bread. We don't have to really think about it. We are so self-sufficient that it's causing a chasm between us and the Lord. Lord, I'm going to let you in on my plan. If it's your will, come along. If not, I'm going anyhow. That's how we pray. That's, that's the brutal honesty to most of our prayers. Come on, Jesus, you can tag along. Well, sing Jesus, take the wheel, but keep your hands to yourself. Or we stop. We stop. We can't, we can't fix what's happening in the school systems. We can't. We can't fix on our own what's happening 
to marriages. We, we, can't, we can't fix that the worldview being thrown at us is an abomination to God's kingdom. What? We can't even live like citizens of heaven on our own. We, we dress up real nice for church and we come together and we worship and we praise and it is sincere. I'm not questioning that. But we hold something back, don't we? Do you really live fully confessed before the Lord? Do you really live broken before his throne? See, moving forward, we must be a people of prayer. If we want to be united as the body, that unity comes through praying together. Through, through sharing each other's burdens. Prayer is not a passive action. It is the pressing into the throne of God. And we need to allow prayer to flow through us as individuals, as families, and as a church. If we want the possibility of revival, loved ones, prayer must saturate our personal lives and our corporate life. Nehemiah let the devastating news of the state of Jerusalem to break him before the Lord. And then he waited and he labored until the Lord said, go now. And the king said, okay. And then all the pieces fell together. And a wall was built in 52 days. We all want more. We all want something more from God. But are we willing to labor for it? I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And we are, we are going to spend five minutes together. See, here's, here's this piece. When we hear the word of God, there is now a responsibility that we have to respond to it. We have to respond. So we have a couple of options. You can reject it. I don't want you to. You can. You can, you can just say, yeah, all right. I, I pray I'm content with my prayer life for, you know, she's a nut job. 
however you want to do that. That's your prerogative, and there's honestly, there's no hard feelings in that. Or we can confess to the Lord that, hey, this hit a nerve. I, I don't labor. I don't, I don't labor in prayer. I don't actually even make prayer a priority. And I need to change that. But see, the truth is, is without the move of the Spirit in our life, we're not going to change that. So God gives us this choice. The altar's open if you want to come forward, but I'm quite content if you choose to just stay right where you are. There's freedom in this house. But he's waiting to hear from you. He's waiting to hear your response to what he's spoken to you today. He's waiting to tell you personally how he wants you to move forward as a person of prayer. How we are to move forward as a house of prayer. So let's just take this minute and humble ourselves before the Lord. House of prayer is not a silent house. It's not a silent house. So we need to pray with our voices. Nobody's listening but your father. I just, I want to encourage you to just, to just pray out loud where you are. Talk to the lover of your soul. Thank you, Jesus.
with all that we are, we give you praise and glory and honor. Lord, and we confess that we have been a sinful people. And we seek your forgiveness today. Lord, we confess that we have been a lazy people who have failed to labor before you in prayer. We confess that we have not sought your face in all that we've done. So, Lord, this day we commit ourselves to you fresh and anew, inviting you to have your way in us. Would you blow a fresh wind of heaven on our hearts? Would you replace our critical spirits with a spirit of joy? With a heart that beats as your heart beats. Lord, be gracious to us. Give us a burden. Give us a burden for this world. Give us a burden for those who do not know you. Give us strength to labor before you. We ask all of this in the glorious name of our King. We're going to end this time together with the blessing of the Lord. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In the name of our King, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.